somebody remind me, we'll take up the offering after after it's over. So, I mean, after I minister. So, um, we'll dismiss the kids. That would be you. <laughs> and you. How's Mr. Logan tonight? You good? Nope. Oh, man. Man. Diss me. <laughs> he likes picking on me like that. That's all right. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Let's open up our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 22. Leviticus 22. Did you start that CD for me, Paul? Okay. All right. Last week, if you weren't here last week, um, I think we may have some more of those uh, handouts we handed out last week. Anybody not get a handout last week? Anybody not here? Uh, Cheryl didn't get one, and Andrew didn't get one. I think there's some back there on the table back there, Stephen. I think they're, I believe they're back there. Was there someone back there? And if not, I'll have to print some off. I'll have to. Okay. I was thinking that we had some left. I don't see any up here. I'll have to get a copy of it. Actually, Stacy, can you go make a copy of that for me? Make about five copies of it if you don't care. Thank you. But we started, uh, we started with an introduction to the feasts of the Lord. And here in Leviticus uh, chapter 23 is the... The uh, our text that we're taking it from, <clears throat> and uh, we'll just read this, and then when when she gets back, we'll uh, get you. Yeah, was that it? Okay. Leviticus twenty-three. Let me grab my sheet back, and I'll. No, she's got it. Raise your hand if you didn't get one. And uh, There's a lot of information I gave you last week. Um, and the reason I, I just gave you my notes last week just because uh, there was so much information and I thought it would be easier just trying to, uh, trying to talk about it. But we, gave, but we talked about the, we talked about the uh, introduction to the feast. And here in Leviticus 23 it says this. Uh, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, in verse 2, he said, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. And we talked about, we talked about how that, um, you know, notice a couple things in that verse. Notice that, that, that God, when God was sharing this with Moses, he told Moses, he said, they're his feasts. You know, there was a lot of times, and, and you know, even still, You'll see a lot of the a lot of times it'll say the feast of people will, will label them the feast of Israel, and you know the feasts of of um, you know the wilderness. They'll, they'll label, label all kinds of things. But notice here, actually, God said that these feasts were His, and so you know, and and we talked about a couple a couple of those words in there. We talked about how that word how the word feast actually um, actually could mean an appointed time. So what God was saying, he was saying that these are my appointed times. And what he was saying in that was that he wanted, he wanted the children of Israel to know that there were certain times that he expected them to meet with him. And uh, in these feasts, there's seven feasts. There's three in, the, three in the spring, then one like right at the beginning, beginning of summer, and then there's three in the fall. And the three, the three early feasts, uh, the, and there was three times out of those seven feasts 
God commanded, and, and he commanded the children of Israel, he said, he said there's three out of these seven that every male, 20 years old and over, um, that every male should, that, you, that you had to, if you, were, if you were Jewish and you were you know, in that, and even, well, actually, even if you wasn't in that region, but, but it was commanded of God that, that on the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and then the Feast of uh, tab- or, uh, Tabernacles, that you, that you go to Jerusalem to celebrate those feasts. So he said there's an appointed time that you come, God was basically saying there's an appointed time you come to me to celebrate. And then also that word feast also could actually mean a rehearsal. So what he was saying was this, and we talked a lot about types and shadows. We talked about how that, you know, there's different layers of the scripture, how there's just the story, like you can read, like tonight we're going to read the Passover story. And, you know, you can read just the Passover story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and, and you know, and when God sent the plagues and the final plague was the, the death of the firstborn. And he told them, he says, you know, he said, here's, this is going to be a protection for the children of Israel and here's what to do. Well, you could just read that and think, well, man, that's a cool story, you know. Uh, but then also you can go a, a, a layer deeper than that and you can go to a practical application and you can see things in that story to where you can apply them to your life. And then you can even go a little bit deeper than that, and you can go into the prophetic, um, the prophetic side of it, which is what we're going to do tonight. And we're going to see how even, even you know, 3,000 years ago or however long it was that God gave the law to Moses, this law to Moses, that, that it was truly what, what the Passover was really all about was nothing more than a dress rehearsal for when Jesus would come. And it's still, and it's still for us today. And you know, that, and it's still a picture. It's still a prophetic picture of uh, for us today of the story of Jesus. And you can find, you know, you can find Jesus in the right in the smack dab in the middle of this story. So, um, so this, so these notes that I gave you here, just just some of the notes we talked about last week. On the back side of it um, are the seven different feasts and the time frame of it, and um, and then the three the three feasts in the spring were Passover, unleavened. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then First Fruits, they actually all happened within the first week, or the, that one week of uh, the, second, the second week of the first month. Then Pentecost would happen 50 days after the first Sabbath uh, of, the, of Unleavened Bread. And then, uh, and then Trumpets and Atonement and Tabernacles happened in the seventh month, which was in the fall. And we'll get into, you know, we'll get into those, excuse me, when we get there. Now, the first four, the first four has already been uh, prophetically, they have already been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has already fulfilled the first four, and then the last three—the trumpets, the atonement, and the tabernacles—those last three are yet to be fulfilled, and they're, they're is, they are what we are looking looking forward to. Um, and when we when we talk about them, it, it's an amazing thing. I'm telling you, there's so much revelation, and I'm learning. I mean, I'm learning more than I've ever learned before about these things as I'm digging into this and studying it. And uh, I was reading today, thinking, thinking, man, I could I could take another month to study this before before I teach it because there's just so much, even in just even in the simple story of Passover, um, there's so much in it that we that that we I've, I've read Passover, I've taught Passover, I mean I've taught this stuff you know about the story of Passover about you know the sprinkling of the blood and all this and how it saved Egypt, but man, there's or how it saved Israel out of Egypt, but there's there is so much to 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 the feast of Passover that I didn't know about, just simply because I had never really just dug in and studied it like I have been 
uh, for this series. So, there, I mean, I, I promise you, and we're only going to be touching, this, touching the surface of it. We're not even, um, because I know, I know probably about that much of, of what there is to know about this. And, you know, and, and man, this, I hope this whets your appetite and you go out there and study some more and, and, uh, and really dig into it. So let's talk about Passover. What is Passover? How many, let me just ask this, and I'm sure everybody has, but how many of you think that you got a pretty good grip on the story of Passover? I mean, you've heard it enough. You, I mean, you know, you kind of know what Passover is. <clears throat> now, it's interesting because <clears throat> I had, um, you know, when you, when you read the story, when you read the story of the children of Israel, as they go into bondage and, and they're, they're in Egypt and they're in bondage there and Pharaoh's, you know, um, you know little by little, uh, you know, because it's, it's an interesting story how, you know, when Joseph, when Joseph was uh, ruler, uh, you know, over most of Egypt there, uh, you know, his, his brother sold him and then he went in and, and he, was, he was basically ruler over all of Egypt except for there was only one person higher than him. He was able to save his family I mean, and the children, and that's really what that's really what drew the children of Israel into that region, and then they just kept growing and growing and growing and growing, and then you know, of course, when Joseph died, and the the kings, the the kings and the rulers of Egypt died that that had Joseph that knew about Joseph, the Bible says that there was a king came up that didn't know Joseph, and all he knew was that there was this there was this group of people that that were good workers, and he enslaved them. You know, and he, he, he got to where he enslaved them. He started making them work. And, 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 you know, but before long, everything he did, everything he did to the children of Israel to try to, to, try to squash them he backfired. He, he got the, if you remember the story, he got the, hand, the handmaidens to, that helped deliver the babies. Um, he, he got them to try to kill all the male kids. Well, that didn't work, you know. And the Bible says that they, that they, uh, they really believed in the God of Israel more than, more than they feared the king and, or the ruler there in Egypt. And it says that God blessed them because of that, and God prospered even the handmaidens of Egypt because they helped Israel. You know, they helped the children of Israel. And so they just kept growing and growing. And finally they got to the point where, where there were just so many that, I mean, you know, it, they, they didn't really know what to do with them. And the cry of, you know, now, now all of this is actually in prophecy. If you read this, you know, it had been prophesied that they were going to be in bondage for 430 years. And, and actually, to the day that they were in bondage that long, I mean, you know, it was to the day, 430 years, the day that they got set free. I mean, it's, it's an incredible. The Bible is just so precise in its timing and in its... Um, in his prophecies and everything that is in there, so so they started crying out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cry, and you know, he, and he start. That's when he started speaking to Moses, the burning bush experience, and he he told Moses he's going to send Moses to go talk to Pharaoh, and he he, he goes down and uh, and I had always kind of uh, I had always kind of struggled with with the the whole ten plagues deal, you know, because. Because it would always like Moses would go down to Moses would go down to to Pharaoh and he would talk to Pharaoh and and Pharaoh would be like you know well yeah I'll let him go and then and then he said no I'm not going to and God will send a plague and and the Bible will say that that God hardened his heart and I'd always be like well why why would God keep hardening his heart why you know it's like that's a cruel thing to do you know and you know ten I mean nine different times God hardened Pharaoh's heart the Bible says. But as I was studying this, I saw something this time that I never really that I never really picked up on before. 
the the ten plagues that God sent is very interesting because what they were, will, and I want to show you this in Scripture here in just a second, what they were was actually God really, uh, really uh, destroying the, the fake idols and the false gods of Egypt. Because, for example, like, like when, you know, when, when, uh, God, when he first came, the very first plague was he turned the Nile River to blood, right? Well, Egypt, they, they, had a, uh, they had a god over the Nile River that was like a crocodile. And that crocodile, you know, it was the, the image, the, their idol was a crocodile. But that crocodile was supposedly supposed to protect the Nile River for anything happening to it. Well, when God turned the river to blood, the Bible says everything in it died. So what that did, that showed Egypt, that destroyed that God. Because that God was supposed to protect the Nile River. So that was one of the false gods that God just destroyed when he turned the river into blood. And it destroyed that God just like that. Because the, the magicians couldn't do anything to undo it. They dug, you know, they dug, the Bible says they went around digging holes around trying to find water. Everywhere they found water, it was blood. And, you know, and, and the, their God, their fake God, their false gods couldn't do anything about it. The second one was frogs. They had a, they actually had a goddess of, it was actually called the goddess of resurrection, but her head was a frog. I, sometimes you wonder, I, I, I see some of these idols that they had, and sometimes you wonder, who come up with that picture of that idol, you know? But it, it, there was this woman with a frog's head, and that was the idol of resurrection. Well, when God sent the frogs into the, into the land, the, the, goddess, the frog goddess couldn't do anything about it. You know, and God destroyed, I mean, God, he, he basically showed that that God had no power. You know, over and every one of these gods, the lice. Actually, the lice was an interesting, interesting one because one of the things about offering offering sacrifices to idol idols, any idols, even the false idols, they had to be clean. Your sacrifices had to be clean. When God sent the the the, the plague of lice, it covered everything. So it made every sacrifice that they tried to sacrifice to their to their gods unclean. So none of their gods, supposedly, you know, because what, what, how that would work, they would offer sacrifices to their gods so their god would undo what, you know, what God was supposedly doing. But they were not able to offer any sacrifices, so there was nothing that the children of Israel or the children of Egypt could do. And all the while, it's interesting, all the while that these plagues were happening, the Bible said, now the children of Israel, they were living in the land of Goshen, uh, which is like, you know, I mean, it's just the area they were living in. And the Bible said that every one of these plagues stopped right at the entrance of Goshen. And, and, it, and all of Egypt were, was consumed with them, but the land, of, the land where the children of Israel were, not one of these plagues went into their camp. You know, and, and every one of these. So then the flies, the flies, they served, you know, Beelzebub, which is another name of, you know, for Satan. But one of the things, one of the classic things about Beelzebub was the flies that surrounded him. And, you know, and, and here God sent flies into the land that, he could, that Beelzebub couldn't even do anything about. You know, so every one of these, it was just like boom, boom, boom. You know, the livestock suffered. There was a, uh, they had a god, Apis, the sacred bull. When the, livestock's, the livestock got killed, half the livestock got killed, he couldn't do anything about it. 
And it was, he was just proving time and time and time again that, he, that, that the true God was greater than their false gods. And he was, he was preparing the children of Israel, he was preparing the children of Israel to be able to, to totally wipe out all of Egypt in just in a, in a split second. You know, just in a matter of hours here, he's leading up to where Israel is going to raid, basically, the Bible says they're going to go borrow, or they're, they're going to go when, you know, after, after the death angel comes through, they're going to go and ask of gold and silver from, from, the, from all of Egypt, and they're going to give them everything just to get them out of the way. And by the time they left Egypt, you know, they had been in bondage 430 years, but they left with the riches of Egypt because there wasn't one God that was standing in Egypt that could do anything about the, the things that the true God did. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible thing. So, so anyway, so we have the nine, you have the nine plagues that happen, and then we come to the tenth one. And God told them, now here, now this is interesting because the firstborn, the firstborn, the firstborn son is very important to God because all throughout, all throughout Scripture, you find that the firstborn male is always the one that gets the blessing. He's always the one that gets the, the double portion. He's, he's the one that's blessed. And there's all these things that the, that the blessing of the firstborn son. So when God, when God finally came back and told, and told them the final one is going to be the death of the firstborn in every household, everything that that's came out of a womb the firstborn is going to die. That was of animals, of, of man, of, you know, of whatever. Anything that was born uh, of, from a female, the firstborn is going to die. And, and he told Israel, he said, now listen, he said, this is very important that you protect your firstborn because if Satan had been, a, if Satan had been able to kill the firstborn of all of Israel, then it would have stopped the Messiah from being able to come. But God said, but I'm going to set, up, I'm going to set something up and I'm going to prove... To Israel, I'm going to prove to you that there is no God stronger than I am. And so here in Exodus chapter 12, let's just read, we'll, for, the, for the sake of, of studying passage, we'll read this real quick and, um, and just make a few comments about it. But then we're going to look at, we're going to spend some time looking at the, the prophetic significance of, of Passover and what it means to us today. So in Exodus chapter 12, says, uh, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So, so what God did, this is, this is really, I mean, really amazing. God reset the calendar for Israel based on Passover. He told them, he said, this, he said, he said we're starting all over. And he said, starting today, this is going to be the first month of the year to you. And this is going to be, and you remember last week we talked about the, how, how they determined the first of the month, and it was based on the, the moon cycle. And, and the first day of the month was when the, when the sliver of the moon was there. When they saw the sliver of the moon, they knew that that was the first day of the month. So, so, they, you know, so they knew, so, so as God was sharing, them, sharing this with them, um, you know, he was, he was sharing that this, starting today, this is going to be a new year to you. This is going to be your, you know, the whole calendar system is going to be redone here. He says, speaking to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a, a lamb for a house. 
And if the household be too little for the lamb, then let him and his neighbor next to him, next to him, unto his house, take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So, so it, this is significant because, and we touched on this last week, but God told him on the tenth day of the month that they were to go out and, and find the lamb for sacrifice. We're going to find out here in just a minute that it was not until the 14th day of the month that they actually sacrificed the lamb. So for four to five days, you know, depending on, just depending on when they, when they picked the lamb out, they had this, this lamb that was like one year old. How many of you have ever seen a little baby lamb? Those things are the cutest things in the world, you know. I mean, they're, they're, they're so precious looking. You know, and, and could you imagine those, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, we, we have dogs, but but you know I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine um, having a dog you know and and we we had a stray come not too long back she's gone now but but um, but we had a stray dog come in and just in a day or two you know you just fall in love with animals you know and and you just you just love them and and you couldn't imagine they so God told him for four days you're going to keep this lamb in your house and you're going to inspect it you're going to protect it you're going to make sure that nothing happens to it because the sacrifice had to be perfect. It couldn't have any blemishes on it. It couldn't have a cut. It couldn't have a bad place on its fur. It couldn't have a, a ripped ear. It couldn't have a, a broken leg or a, a broken hoof. I mean, the lamb had to be perfect. And could you imagine if you had kids, which in, in, that, in that time, most of, you know, most of all those families, as much as they multiplied, they all had kids. And they kept having kids, you know. And so, so they had this lamb in their house for four or five days, and then on the 14th day, the dad would come up and say, okay, now it's time to kill this thing. Well, you can imagine the heartbreak of the kids and, and even the family, but what, the reason God did that was to show the price that had to be paid for their sin. Because God did the actual, God did the, the greatest sacrifice anybody's ever done, and that's that he gave his own son to be our sacrifice. So the lamb, so this was a picture of, now remember, the children of Israel had no idea what this was. All they knew was God was telling them to do this. They had no idea this was a picture of what God would be doing. I mean, through this whole thing, really until even, even all the way up until, um, until Jesus came and until, Pass until the night before the crucifixion, to be honest with you, they still had no idea Passover was a picture of Jesus. It wasn't until the, 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 the Last Supper when Jesus, and if we have time, I want to talk about that a little bit, but when Jesus took the cup and the bread and, and he started talking about the new covenant and the bread you know, being broken as his body and the blood and the wine, his blood, that was the first time that they had ever heard anything about connecting Passover with Jesus. You know, everybody up until that time just thought Passover was just a remembrance of what happened to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. But the whole time, it was a prophetic picture. It was a type. It was a, a shadow. It was a type and a shadow, a prophetic picture of what God would be doing to, so, that, so that you and I, so that we could have, the, have you know, the death angel you know, not pass into our lives, or in other words, that we would have eternal life, that we would have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you know, it's, it's just an amazing story. So, so they bring the lamb into the house on the tenth day, and then verse number 5, he goes on to say this, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male in the first year. You shall, take it, you, shall, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, 
and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So in the evening would be between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Now that's important because no detail in this story is, uh, is just there by coincidence. Because we find out when Jesus hung, hangs on the cross that it's actually between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock that he dies. And actually, I'll even back up a step further, it was four days before... It was four days before the, the, the day that Jesus would be crucified, or actually five days. It was, it was like the tenth of the month that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And Jesus, and, and what happened, he rode into his, his hometown, and he, he came into his house to be inspected so that, so that he could be proven, in, or be proven, uh, be proven that he was perfect so that he could be the sacrifice. And it was, if you remember, Pilate was the one that did the final inspection on him. And what did Pilate say? Pilate said, he, he said, I wash my hand of this man. I find no guilt in him. In other words, what Pilate was saying is this is a perfect man. And, and when Pilate said that, when Pilate said, he, he, this, you know, I find no guilt, this, you know, there's, he's innocent, what that meant was then Jesus was then cleared to be able to be the sacrifice for you and I. You know, so he rode in on the same day, like Jesus, God told him, on the 10th day, you're going to pick out a lamb. Well, on, that, on the 10th of, of the first of that month, that year that Jesus was crucified, he rode in and he was, he was riding in as the lamb that would be picked to be the sacrifice of the world. And then on the 14th day, in the evening time, he was crucified just at the same time as everybody was offering their Passover lambs as they sacrificed their lambs, the, the lamb of the world was being sacrificed on the cross. And it says, and they shall take, in verse 7, it says, and they shall take, it, uh, take of the blood, and they shall strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of their houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, ro uh, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roasted with fire. His head with his legs, and with the, with the, uh, the puritans thereof. And you shall leave nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. I was listening to Perry Stone today, and Perry was telling, doing a teaching on this. And Perry was talking about how that there is a... Um, there is, you know, like in, in, the, uh, in the Eastern world, there's a lot of medicine that they can do that we can't do here. Because, you know, um, I mean, that's a whole other subject, but, but basically because, because it works. And, and, you know, and people in America don't want things to work here. They want people to stay on medicine and keep, you know, keep everybody pumping money into the, into the medical system anyway. But one of the thing, one of the things that that science has proven, and, and is one of the things that that Israel, I mean, that the Jewish people know, and that that's one reason why you find that they're they're so much healthier than us. And I know this kind of this kind of sounds gross, but but check this out though, and notice notice this is this is one of the details in here. God said you'll kill the lamb, you'll roast it with fire, you'll eat everything. In other words, every part of the lamb. I'm not just talking about you know. I mean, I'm talking about 
the head, the eyes, the ears, the tongue, the intestines, the heart, the liver. But notice this, notice this. What, what they have found is this. When there are certain, there are certain animals, there are certain things, there are certain um, uh, nutrients in some of those organs that they have found that when, when those nutrients of those organs get put into humans, that, that, that the human organs actually become well. Now think about this. Think about when, when God told them on Passover. Remember, there's not one detail that is, that is just left, left, you know, just put in there. But when God told them, everyone, you know, every household will eat the entire animal. Well, then guess what happened? That night, when you read the story of Passover, what's one of the most amazing parts of the story of Passover? One of the most amazing parts of the story of Passover is this. When the children of, when the children of Israel exited Egypt, what did it say about them? There was not one weak or feeble among them. Every part, there wasn't, there wasn't one person with a bad heart. There wasn't one person that couldn't see. There wasn't one person that couldn't hear. There wasn't one person with stomach problems. Every single person in Israel were, were completely healed. Why? Because, I, because you know, scholars believe, and, and I, I agree, that because, because part of the Passover, the, the story of Passover here, was as they ate that lamb... It took care of everything in their body. And when they walked out of that house that night, every person in Israel, over, I mean, numbers are somewhere between three to six million people. It, it could have been that many people. That many people walked out of Egypt, healed, whole, not one disease, not one cough, not one sniffle. And it was because they obeyed what God told them to do. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and eat hearts and lungs and livers and things like that, but it's just a point I'm proving, okay? It's just, it's just showing you that when you do what God tells you to do, that there's power in it. Amen. So he told him, he says, and, and then we talked about this last week. He said, take the blood and put it on the right and the left and on the, on the doorpost. Notice he didn't, say, he, didn't, he didn't say anything about putting it on the threshold. And the reason is because in Hebrews, the Bible tells us, that, that when, some, when a, when a uh, Christian or when a, a, per, a person that knows God backslides or, or turns away from God is as if he tramples on the blood of Jesus and, and tramples on the blood like it was nothing. And God, didn't want, God never wants us to trample on what he did. So he didn't say put it on the, on the threshold. He said put it on the right, put it on the left, put it up above. And he said, and, when that, and, and, and what happens, what God told him, we won't read the rest of that, but what God told him was this, when the death angel passes, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. And the Bible says that, that and he told him, he says, if, if one of your household doesn't do this, then he said, whoever's in that house will die. The firstborn will die. But all of Israel did this that night. And so on the 14th day at evening, they, and, and God told him, now God told him this, God said, he said, when you do this, he said, I want you to eat fully clothed. He said, with your staff in your hand, girt, you know, your loins girded. In other words, you know, he said, pick, pick it up, pick your, your, they had like long gowns or, or robes. He said, pick it up like you're getting ready to go somewhere. Why? Because what happened was this. As they were eating the Passover meal that night, and, and he told him, said, eat all of it. And as they were eating that meal that night, at midnight, or sometime around there, we don't know exactly what time, but sometime around there, all of a sudden, 
from Egypt. Could you imagine? The firstborn of every household, all of a sudden, the one person finds their firstborn just drops over dead. Then the next house, then the next house, then the next house. Could you imagine the cry that came out of Egypt that night? Every, not one house was untouched. Dogs, cats, cows, horses, sheep, pigs, and more than, even more than that, humans. The firstborn of every, of, every, of every living creature died just like that. And Pharaoh called Moses and he, he told him, he says, get out of here. And that's when God told him, says, go, go, go borrow the stuff from the people. And they went, and Israel went to the people and said, give us all your gold and silver. And they took all their gold and silver and left. You know, and then they went to the, went out in, into the, uh, toward the, toward the Red Sea there. And, and you know, you know the rest of that story. But now let's, let's talk about, you know, that, that was the original Passover, okay? That was the original day. That was the original uh, ceremony that God did, and it was it was symbolic of what God would do with Jesus, because we know that God gave God gave Jesus uh, as the perfect sacrifice, and the Bible tells us it's by the blood of Jesus that we're cleansed. When God sees us, when you become a Christian, when you give your life to God, the Bible says your the blood of Jesus covers you, and when God sees you. He doesn't see your sin, but what does he see? He sees the blood, and he, and he doesn't see the sin because the blood does away with it. So it's the perfect picture of, of, what, of what God did through Jesus. Now, Israel, or the Jewish people still to this day, they still have Passover. They still celebrate the Feast of Passover. And it's in sometime between March and April. And the interesting thing here's the here's some interesting things that that I found out about Passover that I didn't really I didn't really know about. Um, I wish I, I wish I had a and I may try to get some things to show you because it's really interesting. And and I never really studied. I've never uh, they have the Passover meal. Has anybody ever done a Passover meal? It's called it like a sadar or I know Stacy did and Cheryl has. Um, but it's really a, it's very a, it's a very interesting process that they do. Um, you know, and God laid it out. There's, there's like six things that, that are on the, on the Passover tray, and each one of them symbolic of different things. But the thing that... Here, I want to I go over just two things with you, and then uh, we won't have time to go over all of it. But, but I, I, may try to, I may try to just get some things and show, be able to show it to you. But the two things that stood out to me was this. On the table of... On the, on the, the night of Passover, or on the meal of Passover, when the Jewish people still do it today... There's four cups. There's four different cups that they that they use during the Passover meal. The four cups. Um, put up that um, the third slide, I believe it is. I didn't get I didn't get to those uh, first two. I'll have to do that later. But uh, there's four different cups. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification, and the cup of sanctification. Um, like, for example, well, and I'll just go over these. The first one is, is called the cup of or sanctification. The second one is called the cup of, of, of uh, affliction, and it's wrath and affliction. But notice it says that we don't drink that because Joshua, or Joshua, Joshua, uh, or Jesus, drank that for us. And, I, and I'll talk about that. The third one is the blessing or the redemption cup. And then the fourth one is called the cup of praise, 
or actually um, in the in in the stories in the Bible, it's called the cup of Elijah, and and I'll, I'll share that. But but what here's here's what happens on the on the first on the when you start the Passover meal, they drink they pass the cup of sanctification around. The cup of, the cup of sanctification is what Jesus did in the Garden of Eat or in the in the Garden of Gethsemane when when he you know what does it mean to be sanctified to be set apart right. And it means to, to get ready. It means to, it means to set yourself apart for something. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Je, uh, Jesus, he, he drank from the cup of sanctification, meaning that he prepared himself for the next cup, which would be the cup of affliction. So the first thing they do, they, they pass the cup of sanctification around, and it's kind of like a pre-meal, uh, a pre-meal drink that they all, that they all, uh, participate in you know they pass it around to the whole family then the second cup is the cup of affliction and that is what jesus drank of remember when remember when jesus when peter told him said i'll go where you go jesus and what did he say you're not able to drink of the cup you know you can't you can't drink of the same cup i'm going to drink of why because it was the cup of affliction that jesus was going to endure on the cross what they do with the cup of affliction is this they read the, the, in the, when they have the, the Passover meal, what, what it is for the Jewish people, it is a remembrance of, of, you know, the Passover. So they read the story of Passover, and they read, they actually read the story of the ten different plagues that God sent to, to, or to Egypt. And every time that they read it, they, they normally, different people do it different ways, and there's, you know, there's not necessarily one set way to do it. But most of them pass the book around. They have a book that they read out of, and most of them pass the book around, and everybody reads like a paragraph. And, you know, they go to the next person, the next person. The dad or the, the, the grandfather or the dad is usually the one leading the service. He'll take the, after they pass the, after they pass the cup of sanctification around, and they all do that. As they're reading the story, when they, when they get to the plagues, he'll take the hyssop, and every time that a plague is mentioned, he'll dip it in the cup of affliction and sprinkle, sprinkle some of that wine on, on one of the plates. And that's just to show that that, that, that cup has been, that, those afflictions, those plagues have been taken care of. And every time one of them's read, he dips it back in there and drips some more on the plate. And there'll be like at least ten drippings on the plate there. So then they have the meal. They, they, they participate in the meal. They share, you know, they, they tell the whole story. They participate in the meal. Then, um, then they take the, the unleavened bread. Now, this is, this is interesting. The, uh, the bread is... Uh, put, uh, put that, not the next slide, but the next one. I'll have to come back to these, Paul. This slide right here. This is actually the metzvah, the bread that they they did they, they do. You remember, it's unleavened bread. It's almost like a cracker, a wafer. And they take they've got what they call a uh, a unity bag. They call it a unity bag, but it's got three. It's like a cloth uh, a cloth pouch that has three different compartments in it. And they put three pieces of unleavened bread in it. Now the Jewish people. The, the true Jewish people, remember, because they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah to come. And so even still to this day, the Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah to come. And, uh, but, you know, so they, they when, when they put those three pieces of bread in, in, this, in this unity, what they call a unity cloth or un, unity, unity pouch, 
they consider it to be, most of them consider it to be in, in symbolic of being Abraham, Isaac, and, jo- and Jacob. You know, and the, their forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what they do after, after they have the meal, and, and the last thing that, one of the last things they do, they take they, the, the, pers- the dad or the grandfather opens that pouch and takes the middle, the middle piece of bread out, which is symbolic to them of Isaac. But to us, looking back on it, that, that pouch is symbolic to the Father God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, unity. You know, they even named it the unity pouch. And they didn't even, I mean, you know, they, they, don't, they didn't even know what they were doing when they did that. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one. The, the, you know, there are three distinct personalities, but yet they're in one pouch you know, so to speak. So they reach in and they take the middle pouch, they take the middle piece of bread out and the dad breaks it and he says, this is, you know, this is broken and he breaks it and he takes a piece and hands it and he actually, he breaks it in half and he takes half of it and puts it back into the pouch. He takes the other half and puts it in a linen, a linen cloth, wraps it up and they play, they have like a game that they play with their kids they take, they take that, that pouch, they take that linen pouch. Actually, I, I, I said this, they do this before the meal. Because they take that linen pouch and they hide that pouch somewhere in the house. And then the kids under 13, like after they, after they drink the cups and they, do, they read the meal, then after they, and at, or they read the story and they eat the meal, then after the meal, they release the kids to go see, if, see who can find the, the pouch with the, with the broken piece in it. Well, when the person finds it, and they don't, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where they hide it so that they can find it. They don't, you know, because the purpose of it is for them to find it. So the person finds it, the kid finds it, he brings it back to the, to the leader, to the dad or to the one doing the, uh, leading the ceremony. And the one that gets the, the one that finds that, that, uh, that linen cloth gets a prize. And the, what the, what the, the dad will say is this? He'll say he'll he'll ask them. You know he'll he'll say well you know well what what have you been wanting what you know what's you know what what's on your heart, and and they and whatever it is they'll say you know now I'm give, I'm going to give you a a deposit I want to give you something uh, you know I'm, like for example they may say I want a new bike or something you know and he and he he'll say well I don't have a bicycle here he says but I want to give you like this token and this is going to be representative of that until I can get you this. And, and it don't have to be something big, but, but it's just basically the principle of it is this, that when they find that linen cloth with that, with that broken piece in it, that it's symbolic of a gift that's given from the Father. Okay? So then, so when, when it's found, they unwrap it, they take that piece, they break it, and they, they, share, they share that as the last thing, the last part of the meal. And then they have the, the cup of redemption, which, which they, they serve, uh, you know, with, with that broken bread. They, then they pass the cup of redemption. Now, it's very interesting that when Jesus, at the Last Supper, when, when at the end, the Bible says in Luke 22, it says, after supper, he picked up the bread and the cup. And Jesus said this. He said, this cup. You know, and I never, and, and to be honest with you, I never realized that there was more than one cup sitting there on the, you know, on the table that day. But when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, when he picked that cup up, he said this. He said, this cup is now the new covenant. 
And my blood is, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. What he was telling them was this. They had always drank out of the cup of sanctification. But now Jesus said, now what's getting ready to happen? You're going from sanctification. Now you're going to be redeemed. And now, now the cup that we drink out of, the cup that like for, pass, or for, uh, for the Lord's Supper that we, that we participate in you know, multiple times a year, and, and some people do it every day and however often you do it, but, but that cup that is on the Lord's Supper is which cup? It's the cup of redemption because it's the blood. It represents the blood that Jesus shed for us. So when we take communion, we're participating in what Jesus did for us. It's the cup of redemption. So Jesus took the, the, the bread. Now, if you notice the bread here, this is the true mess of a bread. And notice, you can't really, it's not really a good picture of this, but, but the bread is unleavened and they, they pat it out. And they, they cook it on a, like on a griddle type thing, and they pierce it. They take a sharp object, and they go down through there, and they pierce it. Now, these were probably, these were made in a manufacturing place somewhere, so they're, you know, they're perfect lines and everything. But, but if you'll notice, it has grooves in it, and it has holes in it, and also it has brown spots on it where it was cooked. What do those things represent? The stripes, the grooves represent the stripes that were on Jesus' back. In, in Isaiah, it said that, 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 you know, by his stripes we were healed. The, the holes in the, in the bread represents where it says he was pierced for our afflictions. And then the spots on the bread represent where it says he was bruised for our iniquities. So in that, in that one picture of that bread there, it covers his stripes, his piercing, and also his bruising that he took for us. And then you have the cup of redemption, which is his blood. Now, going back to, uh, just real quick, go back, go back one slide. In, uh, in, in Genesis, uh, let's see, what, or Exodus 6. Look at Exodus 6 with me right quick, and we're, gonna, we're about finished up here. In Exodus 6 is where, this is what, this is what, they, what the four cups represent to, to them. And this is out of Exodus chapter 6 when God, God spoke to them. And this was the blessing that God told them would happen when, when they obeyed Him. And, uh, and God said this in Exodus 6, verse 6 and 7. It says, Wherefore say also unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the first, that's the first cup. Put, put that cup back up there, Paul, if you don't care, that picture of that cup. You notice the first one is the cup of sanctification, and it's the first promise where it says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Sanctification, to be set apart, to be pulled out. So the first cup represents, is a picture of God delivering not only the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it's a picture of God delivering us out of our sins. Then it goes on in Exodus 6, it says, And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you of their bondage. The second one, it says, I will rescue you, rescue you from your slavery. So not only did he bring us out of sin, but he set us free from the power of sin. And, and that, first, that first slide I showed you, it said that the cup of affliction, that second cup was the cup of affliction, and we don't have to drink that cup. Why? Because Jesus drank it for us. So he, so he took the affliction for us. 
Then in, in, you go on in, in Exodus 6.6 6 here, and it says, I will rid you of their, of their bondage. And then it says, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. So the third cup, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So the third cup is the cup of redemption, which Jesus picked up at Passover, and, and that is the cup that we're still drinking out of. Now, the fourth cup, I hadn't even mentioned it, the fourth cup, most of the time they would even turn it upside down and they wouldn't have anything in it. And what it was symbolic of, it was, it was symbolic of in, in, the, in the Old Testament, in that story, it said that, the pow, that Elijah would return in power. So the children of Israel, I mean, Jewish people are still looking for Elijah to return as well. And what they do at, after supper, like when they, after they, after they uh, eat the bread and, and drink the cup of redemption, then they send a kid to the front door to open the front door to see if Elijah showed up yet. And then when, when, when they open the door and if Elijah's not there, um, and I can't say any Hebrew or anything, but, but they, they have this saying that they cry out and they say, they say next year, next year in Israel, Elijah will, will return next year in Israel, and we will see Elijah next year in Israel. And that's how, and, and that's how they end their, their Passover meal, calling out, saying, you know, and, 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 and different people say that, that sometimes that's a, that's a lament, you know, crying out, saying, oh, next year, next year. But other people say that it could be a celebration, uh, which saying, we believe that next year will be the year. You know, so, but it's a cry that the whole family makes. And then that, that comes from verse 7 where it says, and I will take you, um, I will take you to, for me to be a people and I, will, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the, the burdens of Egypt, of the Egyptians. And, what they, and for us, what that is a picture of is this. We will drink that cup. When will we drink that cup? We will drink out of that cup at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's the cup that we'll drink out of for eternity. Because it's the cup that, where it says, I will take to you as my own people, and I will be your God. So, so the four cups of Passover and the mitzvah bread, um, like I said, now they, you know, looking at it from a Jewish perspective, um, you know, they look at it as being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, waiting on uh, Elijah, the spirit of Elijah to come back, um, and things like that. And Passover, you know, they look at Passover as just a story, just a story that they tell about how God delivered them out of Egypt. But for us, looking back on Passover, yeah, it's a great story, you know, of how God delivered them out of Egypt, but it's also a great picture of what God did with Jesus. And also it's a great picture of still of, of what's to come when, when we get, when we get to, to celebrate with Him and, and once and for all, you know, we'll be His people and He'll be our God and, and we'll reign with Him forever. Amen. So that is, that is Passover. Now, like I told you, that was like scratching the surface on Passover. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can dig in so much more. There's so much more stuff in the meal. There's so much more stuff in, uh, you know, in all the, in all the symbols and all the, the elements of Passover. But, uh, but man, it is, you know, you can see how this is very, I mean, this is very, very interesting to study and to dig into and, and to see the pictures of, of God in these stories. Now next week we'll look at uh, we'll look at unleavened bread and first fruits. 
We'll probably look at those together because they kind of go hand in hand. And, uh, and then that will lead us up to uh, the following week. That will lead us up to Pentecost and, you know, another, another uh, feast or festival that we're, that we're pretty familiar with. So, uh, uh, but, man, that's, some, that's some, really, some really cool thing. Did I thoroughly confuse you? I mean, did that make sense to you? I mean, could you see the picture of Jesus in that? You know, and how all that was so symbolic, and and uh, and you know, like I said, could you imagine? It, it would be it would be no different than us if somebody's writing a book about us today, and you know, and we're right in the middle of this of this this great story, and we didn't even know what was happening in it, <laughs> you know. And hundreds and hundreds of years later, you know, somebody reads the story, and they're like, "Man, that's awesome," you know. And because really, to be honest with you, our story is being written in heaven right now. You know, when we studied the book of Acts, we, we talked about how that, that the book of Acts is the only book that doesn't have an ending because we're still writing it. You know, we're still writing the end of the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, because the Acts of the Holy Spirit is still happening today in your life and in my life. And, you know, so our story is still being written in heaven. And, and in ages to come, people, people will be able to, to see our story and, uh, and be able to, to, to see Jesus in your life and in my life. I, I want them to be able to see Jesus clearly, Amen. And uh, so, so, uh, but anyway, that's that's Passover, just a, a touching of Passover. And then, like I said, next week we'll look at unleavened bread and and the significance of why they why why it's unleavened and and all that whole deal. And uh, so, so that's a, that's another very interesting concept that that God planted in there uh, for us to study and to to find Him in. These are you know the prophetic side of this. You see, you could read the whole story. You could read that whole story of Passover and not even get anything we just talked about tonight. I mean, you could just read it as a as a good as a cool story of God sending plagues and delivering the children of Israel. He just did it to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, you know. Or you can dig in deeper and you can dig in and you can find the prophetic meanings in things and see what God meant. Uh, man, there's I mean, there's so much. I, next week I'll share with you. Uh, I'll share with you something about the crucifixion that that I didn't get to tonight. That just that'll just blow you away. That's just awesome. I mean, just you know, it's just really cool. And and it's things that you'd never know about. It's it's clearly in scripture, but if you but if you don't dig deep, you know, you'll never you'll never find that, and you'll never see it. So um, so it's really really cool stuff. Well, let me pray for you, and then we'll we'll go tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revelation, and thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing these things to us. Thank you for helping us. Uh, dig deep and dig down into the scriptures and find what your word has to say and and uh, and and I thank you Jesus that we can find you we can see you clearly in these stories and in in the in the things that father that you instituted thousands of years ago uh, and we we can still see them today just as clear as uh, as 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 it is so we thank you for that we pray your blessings on each one now tonight Lord as we go our way. Thank you for, for putting people across our path, Father, to, to minister to, to share the light with, and to share the gospel with. We love you so much, Father, and may you get all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you